Welcome to episode 383 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a grand conversation with writer, musician, and our resident social critic, J.Q. We talk about this non-stop panic, the pandemic, social justice, artists, freaks, poetic justice, or pure insanity, loving truly, caste systems, race, sex, banks, beautiful souls, among other things. It's a great, wonderful conversation with JQ on this week's episode. We have an EW essay titled Crazy Beautiful, and we share something from the August 3rd and 10th, 2020 edition of the New Yorker magazine, written by Tyle Foggett, titled Department of Protesting Summer School, a poem titled Bald Heads. All of this will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 383 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Oh. Come on, 
crazy beautiful. The ground beneath these feet find footing on myths of a nation so profound and discreet. All who live here together meet and propagate the seemingly boundless conceit, rooted in a sense of supremacy with layers built on top of ideas of entitlement handed down from one generation to the next, these keeping some in positions of power and advantage. The caste, the class, the color of your skin, the sex you are and the sex you have, the songs of your people seeking a truer understanding while navigating for survival, whispering within the thick of the din. As big-bellied, mustachioed purveyors of want, position slendered, buxom babes on top of their laps, poolside position perfectly to taunt your earnest existence. You have so much to learn, so many books to read, a deep compulsion to craft and cultivate your own creed. Whilst two navigating the repercussions of humanity's misbegotten greed, as its inherent injustice manifests with a deprivation of so many bodies and souls, this societal tumult daily unravels and unfolds. Our need for gods and villains, good and evil, to define and design our paths Oh, so limit the beautiful bombast with which we might instead propel our species into the horizon from the past with instead of fear-based dread, inspiration and deep love feeding a collective strong heart and crazy beautiful head. Comme ça d'une fille de rien Mais c'est une personne très bien Je suis princesse d'un château Où tout est clair, où tout est beau Un grand jardin rempli de fleurs Dans le ciel bleu plane mon cœur Des fleurs aux arbres Le long des routes, en se moquant du temps, il chante pour qu'il écoute les cheveux dans le vent.
cette histoire n'est pas vraie. Ce n'est qu'un rêve qu'elle a fait. Et quand je me suis éveillé, le soleil était sur l'oreiller. Et chaque soir quand je m'endors, je cherche un amour rêve d'or. Cette fois je quitterai mon JQ, is that you? Yes, hello. How are you, EW? I'm fine. Thank you once again for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. JQ is a regular contributor, for those of you who have not had the pleasure to hear his segment here on the program. He's been with us for quite some time. He is uh, a writer, a musician. He is our resident social critic. Lives in the south of France, been there for quite some time now, originally from these United States, an expat, I guess, our global hobo, as he calls himself. And uh, today, go ahead. And you forgot to mention an excellent dancer. Oh, an exceptional, an exceptional dancer, (laughs) yes. And uh, he is busy with his his summer... uh, ventures in in the south of france he's taken some time to sit with us and and we're going to talk a bit about oh the the state of affairs in in the world i suppose uh it's there's a lot to talk about jq how you doing by the way well i'm hanging in there everything is very very bizarre over here still although i understand things have only gotten stranger and stranger over there uh, so I'm actually more interested in hearing from you this time about how things are over there because I haven't been much in contact with friends from the States recently. Well, uh, you know, it's, it's very perplexing. You know, I, I, I just got off of, uh, a, a zoom meeting, which is all the rage here in, uh, the U S, uh, regarding how we are going to handle school, you know, education in the fall. Um, right and you know it's it's very perplexing how you do it right you know and protect people and uh, from getting sick with COVID nineteen and at the same time making certain people have an opportunity to get a good education and uh, yeah of of course there's a political for some reason um, motivation or element to it for a lot of people. They, they, you know, they, they don't believe the science so much, uh, or they think they're being misinformed about the, the gravity of the situation. Uh, their individual freedoms, they believe, oftentimes are, are being infringed upon when asked to, to uh, quarantine or wear a mask or things of that nature to protect uh, 
they themselves and and you know their fellow citizens from from uh, getting sick. So that on top of all of that, then you have social justice issues that have come uh, to a head. They've they're here always in our country and and in the world. I think you would agree. But given what has occurred since uh, the murder of George Floyd and, and subsequent other Breonna Taylor and other uh, things that have come to light regarding people of color and the, how they're mistreated by our society, all of this together, on top of it being, you know, sequestered with your 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 family and in, in, inside of uh, a dwelling for long periods of time, could drive one crazy. Yeah, that's the impression I'm getting. Like the the last time, I've been very very busy over here. It's tourist season, and I'm sort of actually working two jobs right now. Uh, but the last time I was in touch with somebody from the states, it was a friend in Philadelphia, um, and then I've had a few. You know, I have some people I correspond with uh, writing because we're old fashioned. We still write very long emails where we describe things in full paragraphs and sentences. You know, like 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 old people do. <laughs> um, back you know <laughs> those old fools from the days of you know literacy. Uh, anyway, the general impression has been one of nonstop panic, <laughs> where there's a feeling that that the whole jalopy is just flying downhill with no brakes. Uh, and, you know, it's it's hard. As somebody who was sort of against the grain in America when I lived there for so long, uh, when I was young uh, and into my late 20s, um, it's it's hard to adapt right away to the, to the notion that it's any worse than it's always been, because we've sort of always had that feeling. Uh, if you see what I mean. Oh, yeah. But, you mean, you mean yeah. like our, our group, the people that we hung out with, you mean? Yeah, yeah, all the sort of artists and freaks and mountebanks that that, uh, <laughs> that comprised our social circle. Uh, there was always a sort of general sense, I, I don't want to overstate this, but a sort of general sense that uh, things were really spinning out of control. And, you know, we were screaming up about that back in the, in the 90s, um, the early 90s. And... Uh, and it, it only got worse since, but it does seem recently, you know, that things have kicked into a gear that we've never known before um, in terms of just the sense of chaos and of a sort of what uh, uh, of an accelerating collapse of, of our culture and civilization uh, under its, the weight of its own fictions. You know, one of the main ones being the racial fiction, you know, and that that should uh, be exploding now in, in the middle of uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. I, I don't know if that's poetic justice or if it's just pure insanity, but that that's happening too. You know, um, Donald Trump brings it to a head. Our, our, you know, we've for decades we've been making people famous simply because they're famous, which is a very strange thing. You know, the the Andy Warhol. Uh, uh, yeah, except he actually had a sort of talent, right? <laughs> so no, I mean his prediction the, in a way. I was, uh, I was everybody would be famous for fifty. Yeah, I got yeah. you. I got you. But you know the Kim Kardashian syndrome, the Paris Hilton syndrome. It's just people who are just famous just because they're famous, and celebrity being this. And finally, we just elected one president, and yeah. uh, now we're paying the price. Um, so I, I don't know. You know, our culture in particular, the racial thing. I, I don't know what to say about it because you know anything you do say, even if it's wise. Uh, Things are so highly charged that I must be speaking from my protected, you know, bubble of a life as a as a Caucasian. So I don't know what to say except that if you read the book *Sapiens*, uh, which was a big bestseller, can't remember the the author's name, but 
he makes a very salient point about how one of the great American myths that our society lives by, you know, the lie that makes a civilization work. In India, it was the caste system, for instance. Uh, back in ancient Sumer, Hammurabi, he, he, he divided the, the, you know, the Hammurabi's code or whatever it's called. He divided society into the superior men, the commoners, and the slaves. And people fell into those categories, and you were either property or you had some rights or you had all the rights. And people believed it. Uh, because that was the social code. America, as opposed to like England, where it was very much a class system and based on accent and all of this, we did it by race from very early on. And it's this myth that we've been living by, you know. And so the myth is collapsing along with the myth of our superiority and uh, our economy and uh, <laughs> all sorts of other things. So I understand everybody over there that I've been in contact with, even though I've been out of touch for a while, feels completely out of control. There's a new note of panic that I haven't really heard before. So that's why I'm curious to know from you where you're at. Well, you know, <clears throat> I, I'm reading even more history than I have uh, in the past. You know, I've always been um, privy to Howard Zinn's uh, People's History of the U.S., mm -hmm. which is a, a different sort of history that, that you uh, hear normally in, in school systems and the like. Um, and a lot of what I read, you know, is, is I still I, there's so much I still don't, don't know, and I, I realize I've been misinformed about or things that have just been totally ignored, and that's frustrating. How could you have an informed, intelligent understanding of where you are now as part of a society if you really don't know where you have been? Yeah, uh, right. you know, things like uh, mass murder of people in Oklahoma. Uh, black people in particular because they were successful. Uh, you never heard about that particular incident in the history books. The fact that for years teachers have told students in, in middle schools and high schools in the United States that uh, the Civil War was about states' rights, not slavery. Balderdash, you know. Um, yeah. uh, people like Woodrow Wilson, who's lauded as a great American leader, was a racist and a sexist and a classist. Yeah. And, and these, you know, these things need to be known. They need to be uh, analyzed. We need to embrace them and, and take ownership of them. Even, you know, the police state that exists in the United States of America really aggravates me. It has forever, ever since you know me. You've known me forever. Sure, I've always, sure. yeah, I've always questioned this just... Uh, this um, sort of uh, ease that people and willingness people have to bow down to a, to authority uh, and to automatically automatically uh, hold people up as as heroes or, or something when uh, you know a hero there are heroes but heroes are few and far between just because you put on a certain outfit you shouldn't uh, then expect to or no one should just bow down and laud that individual it's based on their actions and often our police do not do as good as they need to do and uh, we you know we have tanks positioned in every little borough in town to celebrate war we have our police officers walking around with military gear and training as if they're going to go to war and, and it sickens me the money wasted the mentality that it projects into our into our communities and and how people are just buying into it are indoctrinated into it you know so that that all of that stuff is on my mind as of late if if that makes any sense to you 
Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to me because I've, I've, I've shared that point of view for a long time. I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm over here. You know, I, I did leave America for a reason. There's a lot I love about America, and I'm, I'm very much an American, you know, and you especially see it and feel it when you live in another culture and, and have to adapt to it. Uh, there's all sorts of little habits and, and, and uh, assumptions that are part of your psych, psychological makeup that, that you don't realize are culturally conditioned until you find yourself living in another culture, right? And it's not yeah. like I moved to, to, you know, to Senegal or to, to India or to someplace. I've been, spent a lot of time there, but, you know, to someplace really different. I'm still in the West. I'm in France. And yet there are, there are a lot of massive differences uh, culturally, um, but uh, yeah, look, we're America's a tortured civilization. There's um, there's a lot to to love, but it's sort of it's been turning over to the dark side of the force. For me, politically, it really starts in the Reagan Thatcher era. Um, globally, really, the 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 takeover of capital and and uh, the death of real social politics um, begins then. And the moving of the Overton window in American politics in particular, so far right that there is no such thing as a left anymore to speak of in America. There's some good commentators, but there's no real political left or very little. Bernie Sanders has revived it, right? Mm -hmm. And you need it as a counterweight because the left and the right need to coexist. It's like the two wings of a bird, you know? So when, when that whole system is out of balance, uh, as it is, uh, well, then the flight becomes very rocky. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's a it's a disturbing thing. It's it's hard to know what to say when there's so much happening at once. When you know, I, I hear a lot. I see people on social media raging about Trump all the time. I, I he's a symptom to me. You know, right. I, obviously right. he's a he's a huge problem. But uh, it's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper. How the fact that he could get there is the real problem. That's what needs to be examined. To me, to my way of thinking, you know. Um, of course, then again, he's here, and you have to deal with that. <laughs> you know, right. You're in this room now, not another one. So uh, that's 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 where we're at, man. It's it's tough, and you know, coronavirus uh, has been handled really, really badly. Um, hmm over there here things were strict for a little while now we're starting to see i don't know there, there, there's also public panic involved with certain things in europe and a lot of political maneuvering going on it's quite complicated uh, and i think you guys are in a phase over there where all you want to hear about really is like let's do everything we can to quarantine but Here's the thing. Economically, the reality is uh, people are in deep trouble. And I don't know if you saw this, but um, all right. Well, you're, you're, you're familiar with how uh, the banks and the, the government, the Federal Reserve and so on, they injected, I think it was $2.3 trillion into the stock market back uh, when it was collapsing in an effort to prop it up. Do you remember this? We're talking back uh, when Obama took over and Bush and from the Bush to Obama uh, era. No, 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 no. We're talking about the quarantine when the stock market collapsed and the banks injected two point three trillion dollars. I have to uh, say, I, I I plead ignorance. All right. Well, do you remember how they opened the stock market and then you know they they have that like 
like emergency red bat button now that you just you can just <laughs> shut the stock market down if it starts to collapse. Yes, I do remember that. They did, okay, because they didn't have it back in you know the 2008, the last time things really went haywire. So they have that now, and the banks injected all this money into the stock market to prop it up, right? To make people feel secure, to create psychological security in the markets. And then they opened the markets and they had to shut it down. I think it was in like five minutes or something ridiculous like that. This is back in March or April when things were first going haywire, right? And we were under quarantine here uh, in France when this happened. And so that was $2.3 trillion that just came out of nowhere. You know, we have to stop and ask, you know, when they're telling us that we're injecting $2.3 trillion into the stock market, you have to say, where did you get it? Well... <laughs> that's very complicated to explain, but they sort of create it, right? Um, which is revelatory that they have that power to do that. And what's more revelatory yes. is the stock market, which is supposed to be a measure of our the health of our economy, really benefits at best, like really truly benefits about 5% of the population. You know, most people aren't making money, anything significant off the stock market. So it's not a real indicator of what's actually happening for real Americans at all, at all, at all. Uh, so they inject this $2.3 trillion into the stock market and then it's, it, it, within two days, poof, it was gone. It, it came from nowhere and it went nowhere, but now there's this massive debt added to the debt. So here's the thing. Somebody did the math, which it turns out is pretty simple. If you take, um, working age Americans, you know, between 18 and retirement age, regardless of their actual income or whether they're employed or not, simply if they're fit for work, Right. That's about 100 million people. So if you take that $2.3 trillion and you want to get through the crisis, instead of trying to prop up the stock market with this money you created out of thin air, right, and that is mm -hmm. a debt for our grandchildren, if you had simply divided it up and given it to every working age adult in America, that's $23,000 per person. Wow. For a couple that's Changed lives. For a couple, that's $46,000. You want to get through the crisis, shut everything down, but you know, and then pay extra money to essential services, delivery people, nurses, all of that, and really quarantine? They had the money to do it. Our economy mm -hmm. is a fiction, and not in the conspiracy theory sense. It's sort of, it's more of a shell game. It is tied to a lot of real wealth, but the fact is that only about 7% of money circulating in the world exists in paper form. It's, it's computer algorithms and... Technically, it's tied to real wealth and has real value, but it's a massive fiction that we, that's the myth we live by. It's like, you know, the resurrection of Jesus or Muhammad is the great prophet or, you know, believing that the Buddha will lead you to enlightenment. That's the myth we live by is our economy. It's, it's, it's a social fiction. It's like the Indian caste system. It keeps cohesion because we believe in it, but it's not real. And a crisis like this sort of uh, gives you a glimpse backstage behind the curtain to where the Wizard of Oz is pulling on the levers. Right. Well said. Well said. JQ here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, our resident social critic, talking with us at his place in the south of France. Where? What? Uh, maybe we shouldn't tell people exactly. They, they they might come and find you. I fully <laughs> expect someone's going to like grab you right now while we're talking and drag you out of the room you're sitting in. <laughs> Shut him up! Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? They probably just look at us as peons anyway. Yeah, right? Well, that they now would... that is getting conspiratorial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they don't that's... care what I say. <laughs> they no. They, they don't. don't. <laughs> no, they all. laugh at you. They laugh at you. Yeah, listen to him. He thinks he's got it figured out. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, you know, I I like I like what you're saying. It it makes total sense to me, and it it you know it uh, it gives you a handle uh, on on things when you feel totally um, uh, confused and as if you're the only one who who knows something's not quite right. So that's it's helpful in that regard. But when you truly look at what uh, any individual can do, uh, you know, you don't want to get cynical. You want to be realistic. And I guess the things that we can do, if you truly, uh, I guess, believe the problems that we're talking about do exist, is work together, you know, in a peaceful but intelligent uh, manner where you are willing to persevere for years and probably you're going to have to pass it on to another group. You're not going to see all of what you want accomplished, of course, like a John Lewis, right? God rest his soul. Uh, you work, you work, you, you take beatings, you get stronger, your wisdom gets deeper, you continue to work for what you believe is right, what is just, and then you pass and you've inspired people, hopefully, and then they take on and they the, uh, the reign, so to speak, and keep moving forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you, you do what you can because the, the game is rigged. You know, you can look at that as being, look, uh, humans are the victims of their own success as a species. All right. Uh, Homo sapiens. You know, there used to be like a bunch of humanoid species. There was Homo erectus lived for millions of years. Right. But there was never. Hey, more this is a, a this is a this is a family show. Yeah, well, okay, Neanderthals, Homo erectus, there was a bunch of them, Homo florensis, uh, you know, we wiped them all out. They I was were, making fun of the, ere- I was being Yeah, I, I get it, I'm pretending it didn't happen because it was so not funny, so I, I'm just ignoring it. the erectus <laughs> part, it was the, it was the erectus part, you know. I oh, wait, because was... it sounds like erection. Oh, <laughs> oh. beep, 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 beep. <laughs> so anyway. Um, I, I, you know, you've destroyed my point. I can't go on. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we've been hanging out since we're like, you know, in junior high and sometimes that junior high, uh, connection comes out again, you know? Yeah, no, that that was actually, if symbolically you just did to me what American culture has done to 2000 years of human culture, (laughs) it just comes (laughs) along. We had philosophers, we had Schopenhauer and Nietzsche and classical music and, and America just comes along and goes, Oh, look, fart. And, uh, you know, know. (laughs) and farts in the white house now. Yeah. Yeah. And we elect a fart president and and there you go. That's my country tis of the... (laughs) So uh, I totally forget what we were talking about. Next, you were talking about how how we as a, as a species uh, were a victim are, are, of our own success. Yeah. Yes. Look, I mean, when you were talking about somebody like John Lewis, you know, truly inspirational people who spend their whole lives bashing their head against the wall just to get a, a brick to fall out. You know, as other people are up top putting more bricks on top of the wall. Right? <laughs> um, uh, but you know, beautiful souls, people who really, really work for change and and there's so many ways to do that it can be politically culturally socially artistically or just in your community but it seems to be that beyond uh local community level it's it things get very very tricky you know um the average human cannot have a a real existent social circle beyond the maximum seems to be between 100 and 150 people that you really know well and that you can actually have some sort of connection with beyond that we get lost and that actually happens to be the maximum number of tribes, for instance, of chimpanzees. Uh, they'd never get bigger than that because beyond that, cooperation becomes impersonal and therefore impossible. 
And the reason humans can do it is because we have myths and because we have fictions like our economy, like the Indian caste system, like the, you know, uh, the American exceptionalism, these things that we create that allow us to, com- to, to cooperate for something that, you know, impersonally that, that is beyond us, uh, even if it's a lie. And through these mass cooperations, we create, we've created first, you know, city states, then nations and, and empires, and now something like a global economy. Uh, but the thing is, part and parcel of that is that it's incredibly dehumanizing at the same time. And, you know, the old saying, power corrupts, as Lord Acton says, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so every system seems to collapse under its own weight of corruption at some point. Um, and ours seems to be rapidly approaching that. But the strange thing now is that we have a globally interlinked economic system along with all the nation states. And so where does that lead? I mean, can it be strong enough, the, 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 you know, the, the global connection, connectivity and therefore interdependence that we have to sort of save humanity from, can it stop America from collapsing? Because the rest of the world needs Americans to consume if we want this game to keep going. That's something we don't like to talk about too much, right? No, uh, we do not. Um, and so, yeah, it can, it can make you very cynical. To get back to your point, it's, it's why... I said the game is rigged against you. That's just on the basic level. Also existentially, metaphysically, you know, if you will, you could say, look, you're born into a universe of infinite information, but you have a very finite intelligence. There's infinite time, but you only have a few years to figure everything out. You can't. You won't. You you don't get to win. The only thing you get to do, and your example was John Lewis, was to sort of fight the good fight. Uh, so are you going to do that? And will you find the cause to do it for, you know, mine has been creativity. Um, and, and I've done what I can, you know, I, I, I haven't sold out. I've, I've stayed creative and continued making art my whole adult life. And I don't worry about what happens to it or what other people say about it. I just keep creating it because the victory is in that. Uh, and I'm going to get back to doing it after I talk to you (laughs) as soon as possible. So, but you know, Maybe that's a silly choice, but whatever the choice is, you have to make it. And, and we only get to have, I think, Pyrrhic victories, sadly. And that's a tough philosophy, but uh, I don't see a way out of it. It seems true. Yeah, it does. And, I, you know, I guess, too, it, it's uh, a bit about how grandiose you think your existence is. You know, uh, we're here to do what? You know, what, what are we here to accomplish how important are we? Uh, who are we important to? All these are very deep questions I'm always, you know, reflecting on. Um, I mean, you want justice. You don't want to see people treated poorly or, or abused, um, tortured even, you know, we see in this in this world for sure. Uh, but at the same time, you know, what are you trying to win as a person? Is it, How much of it is self-serving? How much of it is sort of... Um, you know, uh, un, un, uh, immature, I guess you could say, emotionally uh, or, or even intellectually, when you realize as you just really uh, uh, clearly uh, uh, expressed, explained to us uh, the, the state of affairs that we face uh, in, in a lifetime. Uh, you know, I, I love how you put, you know, it, there's so much there and our, our intelligence is limited um, and our time is limited. So, yeah, it's, 
It's a weird experience, this one we're given, this, well, this life that we're given. That's the, that's the you know, um, I don't call myself a Christian, but I read a very, very wonderful essay by a guy named Timothy Garton Ash uh, in the London Review of Books many years ago, where he said something, because uh, he is a Christian writer, um, you know, he believes in the theology and the, the philosophy of Christianity, but he's more of a Kierkegaardian type. For, Kierkegaard is somebody that every human should have to confront at some point. He's a brilliant man. But to sum up, uh, his idea of Christianity, I would have subscribed to. And what he said was the message of the cross and that most people who call themselves Christians do not want to hear is, is quite simple and very, very hard, hard as a diamond. It is this. If you do not love truly, you are already dead. But if you do love truly, they will kill you. Now, that's a catch 22, right? But it's pretty much, it sums up what we've been saying. And here's the thing, you, you, what you have been given in this life is the opportunity to try to love truly. So raise your kids right, um, be loyal, all those corny things, you know, I get like to me, and, and then also the thing because I felt it in me since I was very young, be creative, be imaginative, create things, make some beauty, you know, or some honesty if you will, because art doesn't have to be beautiful. It can be ugly, but as long as it's honest, as long as it's saying something, right? Uh, that, that's been my road, um, and I'm, I'm still on it, and I'm, I'm good here. But, uh, you, you know, yeah, you don't, get, you don't get any reward except doing it. But that should be enough. I, I think that's, that's the tough nut to crack, is that it, the opportunity to try, to have been given this life, that's what, what's precious. Because look around us, man. Everything's falling apart. <laughs> you know, nobody's in control. You know, no, there's there's nobody at the wheel. God's away on business, as Tom Waits put it. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a good place to, to to leave our conversation. On that happy this, note, <laughs> yeah, buy my new I like record. It. <laughs> hey, we we're gonna play one of your tunes r r immediately after uh, we're done with our, our conversation here. Do, do you want to lead lead in? Well, uh, yeah, a new artist name. I'm thinking about calling uh, the band. I've got people I've been working with. Uh, I've been writing and performing with various people. Um, and we've been looking for a name. It's all my music, but it, I think we're going to call it This Quintessence of Dust. So you can put that in as the new artist name for this song. This one is called Rose. There's acoustic guitars and cellos and, uh, and chants and all sorts of things going on in it. It's quite a moody number, and it's basically about how uh, we betrayed the poetic uh, soul, um, femininity in nature. We, we hunted it down and killed it, and now we're paying the price for it. Again, another really inspiring thought. <laughs> it's another party start and toe tapper. <laughs> Thank you so much, JQ. You're my brother. I love you. I wish I could hug you and kiss you right now, hopefully soon. Yes, yes. Well, social distancing, that's all I have to say to that. Love you too, man. <laughs> Thanks for having Ciao. me. Ciao. Bye. My pleasure. Oh uh -huh. 
And this is from the New Yorker magazine, the August 3rd and 10th edition, 2020. Department of Protesting Summer School by Tyler Foggett. Bartley Janote teaches 6th grade humanities at the Abington Friends School, a private Quaker institution in the North Philadelphia suburb of Jenkintown. When schools closed for the pandemic in March, he was teaching via Zoom within days. It was pretty easy for us to pivot to distance learning, he said, because of his school's resources. Meanwhile, kids in the public schools were just at home, getting no interaction from their teachers for almost a month, he added. Before joining Abington Friends last year, Genote taught at the Philadelphia School, another private institution. A decade earlier, he attended Seton Hall Prep, a Catholic boys' school in New Jersey, where he was one of two dozen black students in a class of around 200. He got good grades, but he grew frustrated with the curriculum of all white authors. I felt like I was reading other people's literature, other people's theology, other people's history, he said. I was looking for something that spoke more to my experience. It was like the second to last chapter of the book that we never got to. When he asked his teachers about incorporating more black voices, the school sent a letter to his mother. His teachers had noted a, quote, radical shift in his behavior, describing him as, quote, hostile and, quote, aggressive. After that, Genote stayed quiet in class. But the world is a little different now. This summer, Genote is teaching a free course for inner-city high schoolers called Protest Writing. It is hosted by Mighty Writers, a local nonprofit. The reading list ranges from W.E.B. Du Bois to Nicole Hannah-Jones and Kendrick Lamar. And the class culminates in the students writing their own pieces. The other day, after eight students had shown up for class over Zoom, Genote shared his screen so that they could view a political cartoon. The drawing, titled The American Dream Game, showed two boys, one white and one black, taking different paths to get to the end of the game board. The white kid's path was straight and short, while the black kid's was three times as long, winding through such obstacles as segregation lose 25 turns. Federico, a sophomore in a green shirt, raised his hand. White people tend to judge African Americans saying they're slow or something like that, when in reality they just have a lot more things to overcome in order to reach that American dream, he said. Zion Perry a junior who wore her hair in braids, chimed in, Some white people are so comfortable in what they have or where they are that if they see a person of color in the same position as them, then they think that they both got to that place in the same way. Genote asked the class, How do you think that this board might look if, instead of a black man, this was a black woman? A sophomore named Felix whose webcam was positioned so that only the top half of his face was visible, guessed that the path would look even twistier. 
He said that he had heard black women talk about the disrespect that they get from various groups, including black men. It must be really hard if you feel like even the people inside of your own race don't respect you, he said. I like what Felix said a lot, Perry said. She describes some of the difficulties of being a black woman. When we're passionate or loud about something, we're seen as ghetto. But when we try to conform to societal standards, we're whitewashed. On to homework. The students had been asked to read a piece in the Times about how two schools, one private and one public, had adjusted to remote learning. They talked about the failings of their own public schools. Perry, who goes to the Academy of the New Church, a private school in the affluent suburb of Bryn Athen, said that her school had done a bad job transitioning to remote learning, too. It really showed you how they actually felt about you, she said, explaining that her teachers hadn't seemed to care whether she fell behind on her work. This past June, she began posting on Instagram about experiencing racism at her school. She also wrote about it for Genote's class. In a two-page poem titled, The Masked Prisoner, she compares the school's instructors to prison guards. They were terrible overseers, and their titles were teachers. I was taught Latin and European, and even how to be like one, and describes how they seemed to favor some students over others. The victims that were always seen as nice and kind and so sweet and oh so pretty and white. A spokesperson for the Academy of the New Church responded in a statement. We support all our students, alumni and families, in courageously speaking out about the hurt they experienced while attending our schools, and we thank them for sharing input on how to make our schools better. Perry's parents plan to enroll her in a new school this fall. In her poem, she writes, COVID came around and the killer saved my life.
of flower float on airstreams that also carry sounds of gunfire because the ignorant bald heads want to train in vain their small-minded ways and ideas of protecting our community. I feel tears welling up cold deep inside like my heart's from a big break. And it's sharp and painful More than I can take You might have thought I was taking it hard But you broke it off with a call But don't you wager I'm gonna hide my sorrow My break right down the ball Now the race is on And it comes right up the backstretch Heartaches cut through my inside My tears are holding back Trying not to fall My heart's out of the running Two loves catch for another state Now the race is on and it looking like heartache And the winner gonna lose it all And love never was suspecting what the final result will be And I live in fear waking up each morning Finding that you're gone for me As the naked pain in my heart for the day Was the one that I hated to face Somebody new come up to win her And I ended up in second place Now the race is on and it comes right up the backstretch Heartache cut through my inside Tears are holding back, trying not to fall. My heart's out of the running. Two loves catch for another sake. Now the race is on, and it's looking like heartache. And the winner gonna lose it all. And there you have it, episode 383 of Troubadours and Rockon Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our resident social critic, our good friend J.Q. I would like to thank writer Tyler Fogat and The New Yorker magazine, and these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, David Bowie, Edith Piaf, JQ07, Charlie Crockett, Branford Marsalis, and of course, Terrence Blanchard too. And I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care.